Amazon Books, your weekly program about great reads through book talks, trailers, and first chapters. Presented by Mrs. Winningham and Mrs. Kovach. Hi, this is Mrs. Kovach. Today I'll be reading from the book, The Red Queen by Victoria Aviard. Mayor Barrow's world is divided by blood, those with red and those with silver. Mayor and her family are lowly reds, destined to serve the silver elite whose supernatural abilities make them nearly gods. Mayor steals what she can to help her family survive, but when her best friend is conscripted into the army, she gambles everything to win his freedom. A twist of fate leads her to the royal palace itself, where in front of the king and his nobles, she discovers a power of her own ability that she didn't know she had, except her blood is red. To hide this impossibility, the king forces her into the role of a lost silver princess and betroths her to one of his sons. As Mare is drawn further into the silver world, she risks her new position to aid the Scarlet Guard, the leaders of the Red Blood Rebellion. Her actions put into motion a deadly and violent dance, pitting prince against prince and Mare against her own heart. Chapter one, I hate First Friday. It makes the village crowded, and now in the heat of high summer, that's the last thing anyone wants. From my place in the shade, it's not so bad, but the stink of the bodies all sweating with morning work is enough to make milk curdle. The air shimmers with heat and humidity, and even the puddles from yesterday's storm are hot, swirling with rainbow streaks of oil and grease. The market deflates, with everyone closing up their stalls for the day. The merchants are distracted, careless, and it's easy for me to take whatever I want from their wares. By the time I'm done, my, po- my pockets bulge with trinkets, and I've got an apple for the road. Not bad for a few minutes' work. As the throng of people move, I let myself be taken away by the human current. My hands start in and out, always in fleeting touches, some paper bills from a man's pocket, a bracelet from a woman's wrist, nothing too big. Villagers are, villagers are too busy shuffling along to notice a pickpocket in their midst. The high stilt buildings for which the village, the village is named, the stilts, very original, rise all around us, 10 feet above the muddy ground. In the spring, the lower bank is underwater, but right now it's August, and when dehydration and the sun sickness stalks the village. Almost everyone looks forward to the first Friday of each month when work and school ends early, but not me. No, I'd rather be in school, learning nothing in the classroom, full of children. Not that I'll be in school much longer. My 18th birthday is coming and with it conscription. I am not an apprentice. I don't have a job, so I will be sent to war like all the other idle ones. It's no wonder there's no work left with every man, woman, and child trying to stay out of the army. My brothers went to war when they turned 18. All of them were sent to fight the Lakelanders. Only Shade can write worth a lick and he sends me a letter when he can. I haven't heard from my other brothers, Bree and Trammy, in over a year, but no news is good news. Family can, families can go years without hearing a thing, only to find their sons and daughters waiting on their front doorstep, home on leave, or sometimes blissfully discharged. But usually you receive a letter made of heavy paper stamped with the king's crown seal below a short thank you for your child's life, and maybe you even get a few buttons from their torn uniforms. I was 13 when Bree left. He kissed me on the cheek and gave me a single pair of earrings for my little sister, Gisha and me to split. 
They were dangling glass beads, the hazy color of sunset, kind of pink. We pierced our ears ourselves that night, and Trammy and Shade kept up the tradition when they left. Now, Gisha and I each have one ear, each with a set, with three tiny stones to remind us of our brothers fighting somewhere. I don't really believe they have to go, not until the Legionnaire has his polished armor shown up and took them away one after another. And this fall, they'll come for me. I've already started saving and stealing to buy Gisha some earrings when I do. Don't think about it. That's what mom says about the army, about my brothers, about everything. Great advice. Down the street at the crossing of Mill and Marcher Roads, the crowd thickens and more villagers join the current. A gang of kids, little thieves in training, flutter through the fray with sticky searching fingers. They're too young to be good at it, and security officers are often quick to intervene. Usually the kids will be sent to the stocks or the jail at the outpost, but the officers want to see First Friday. They'll settle for giving the ringleaders a few harsh knocks before letting them go. Small mercies, I guess. The tiniest pressure on my wrist makes me spin, acting on instinct. I grab at the hand foolish enough to pickpocket me, squeezing tight so the little imp won't be able to run away. But instead of a scrawny kid, I find myself staring up at a smirking face. Kill Lord Warren, a fisherman's apprentice, a war orphan, and probably my only real friend. We used to beat each other up as children, but now we're older and he's a foot taller than me. I try to avoid scuffles. He has his uses, uses I suppose. Reaching high shelves, for example. You're getting faster, he chuckles, shaking off my grip. Or you're getting slower. He rolls his eyes and snatches the apple out of my hand. Are you waiting for Gisha? he asks, taking a bite of fruit. She has a pass for today working. Then let's get moving. Don't want to miss the show. And what a tragedy that would be. Tis tis, Mayor, he teases, shaking a finger at me. This is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be a warning, you dumb fool. But he's already walking off with his long strides, forcing me to almost trot to keep up. His gait weaves off balance. Sea legs, he calls them, though he never has been too far off to sea. I guess long hours on his master fishing boat, even on the river, are bound to have some effects. Like my dad, Kilorn's father was sent off to war, but whereas mine returned missing a leg and a lung, Mr. Warren came back in a shoebox. Kilorn's mother ran off after that, leaving her young son to fend for himself. He almost starved to death, but somehow kept picking fights with me. I fed him so I wouldn't have to kick around a bag of bones, and now ten years later, here he is. At least he's apprenticed and won't have to go to war. We get to the foot of the hill where the crowd is thicker, pushing and prodding on all sides. First Friday attendance is mandatory, unless you're like my sister, an essential laborer, as if embroidering silk is essential. But the silver bloods love their silk, don't they? Even the security officers, a few of them anyway, can be bribed with pieces sewn by my sister. Not that I'd know anything about that. The shadows around us deepen as we climb up the stone stairs towards the crest of the hill. Kilorn takes them two at a time, almost leaving me behind, but he stops to wait. He sparks down at me and tosses a lock of faded tawny hair out of his green eyes. Sometimes I forget you have legs of a child. Better than a brain of one, I snap, giving him a light smack on the cheek as I pass. His laughter follows me up the steps. You're grouchier than usual. I just hate these things. I know, he murmurs. And then we're in the arena, the sun blazing hot overhead, built 10 years ago. The arena is easily the largest structure in the stilts. It's nothing compared to the colossal ones in the cities, but still the soaring arches of steel, the thousands of feet of concrete are enough to make a village girl catch her breath. Security officers are everywhere. 
their black and silver uniforms standing out in the crowd. This is first Friday. They can't wait to watch the proceedings. They carry long rifles or pistols, though they don't need them. As it is customary, the officers are silver bloods, and silvers have nothing to fear from us red bloods. Everyone knows that. We are not their equals, though you would, wouldn't know it from looking at us. The only thing that serves to distinguish us, outwardly at least, is silvers stand tall. Our backs are bent by work and unanswered hope in the in in inevitable disappointment with our lot in life. Inside, the open-topped arena is just as hot as out, and Kil Killorn is always on his toes, and he leads me to some shade. We don't get seats here, just long concrete benches, but a few silver blood nobles are up above enjoying the cool, comfortable boxes. They have drinks, food, ice even in the high summer, cushioned chairs, electric lights, and other comforts I'll never enjoy. The silver bloods don't bat an eye at any of it, complaining about their wretched conditions. I'll give them wretched conditions if I ever have the chance. All we get are hard benches and a few screechy video screens, almost too bright and too noisy to stand. But your day, day's wages is another strong arm today, Killorn says, tossing his apple core towards the arena floor. No bet, I shoot back at him. Many Reds gamble their earnings on the fights, hoping to win a little something to help them get through another week. But not me, not, not even with Killorn. It's easier to cut the bookie's purse and try to win money from it. You shouldn't waste your money like that. It's not a waste if I'm right. It's always a strong arm beating up on someone. Strong arms usually make up at least half of the fights. Their skills and abilities better suited to the arena than almost any other silver blood. They seem to revel in it, using their superhuman strengths to toss other champions around like ragdolls. What about the other one, I asked, thinking about the range of silver bloods that could appear? There's swifts and nymphs and greenies and stone skins, all of them terrible to watch. Not sure. Hopefully something cool. I could use some fun. Killorn and I really don't see eye to eye on the feats of First Friday. For me, watching two champions rip into each other is not enjoyable, but Killorn loves it. Let them ruin each other, he says. They're not our people. But he doesn't understand what the feats are about. This isn't mindless entertainment meant to give us some you know, respite from a grueling work. This is calculated cold and a message. Only Silverbloods can fight in the arenas because only Silverbloods can survive the arena. They fight to show us their strength and power. You are no match for us. We are better than you. We are gods. It's written in every superhuman blow that the Silverblood champions land.